We welcome today Dr. Kellyanne Garnier, our doctor. It's so exciting. Thank you so much for joining us, Kelly. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. I think like the rest of Melbourne, I'm just smiling all day long at the moment. Very happy indeed. Oh, so (laughs) nice, isn't it? It's so good to see everyone out and about. Oh, so good. And they they really had a a sort of a festival atmosphere in the CBD welcoming the shoppers back yesterday. So that was heartwarming to see. So no, I hope this is the the start of a brand new chapter for all of us. Yeah, that'd be amazing. So today, I'm quite excited because I don't know much about this topic at all. Imposter syndrome. Now, the (laughs) first time I heard about this was literally a few weeks ago when Mm -hmm. I spoke to someone else. Tiffany Johnson I interviewed, who was a survivor of the Swiss Canyoning disaster, and she talked about imposter syndrome, and I thought, I've never heard of this. So tell me, what is imposter syndrome? So it's not a recognized disease. It's not acknowledged as a disease or a diagnosis, but it's a syndrome that's been you know, discussed for many, many years now, as far back as 1978, I think was the first time they coined the phrase. And it's around this feeling of typically high achievers who, despite having quite objective evidence of being successful, they fail to recognize those successes on an internal level. And so you'll find these folks sort of go about life with this persistent self-doubt, trying to get to that finish line, fear of being exposed as a fraud or an imposter because they're just not willing to recognize or unable, I should say, rather than not willing. They're just unable to recognize that, hey, I'm doing good, you know, and, and I did well then and I have achieved and good on me. And so there's this perpetual struggle whereby they operate with this fear of, being found out of being a fraud um, and so it's it's gut-wrenching really to go through it or to watch somebody experiencing it. So I'm quite interested because I find self-validation extremely difficult. Mm. I'm always looking for external validation. Yes. yes. So do people come to you and say I feel like a fraud? Is that the words they use? Like how do they present to you? Yeah, so that that's a really good question, Kylie. I think for the most part, where folk have got quite a good health literacy or like yourself, they've heard about this imposter syndrome, you may find they chat socially amongst their girlfriends or they may mention it in the consult room and say, you know, I read about this. I can so relate to that. Mm-hmm. However, what... I think happens more often than that. Imposter syndrome is highly associated with anxiety, depression, and burnout. So what you will see is you will see somebody presenting for mental health concerns. And if you take the time to really sit and listen, quite often, not all the time, but quite often, you will find that there are these sort of behavioral tendencies where they're not capable of recognizing their successes, recognizing all those things that have gone well, and there's a perpetual low self-esteem. So all of that could quite well be the imposter syndrome, which is part of their world and their mindset, which then, of course, 
predisposes them to anxiety, depression, and burnout. And that's what may lead them into your consult room. That's very interesting. So is there a group of people that this specifically fits into? Like, is it women? Is it men? Or is it just Mm. a generalized Mm. sort of thing? Look, the studies, you know, there's there's an interesting um, systematic review that was published in 2020 in the Journal of General Internal Medicine. And they've looked at 62 studies, over 14,000 participants in all these studies. And certainly it does seem to be more common in women. Mm -hmm. However, it definitely affects men. Um, There does seem to be a predisposition for ethnic groups. However, we do know ethnic groups are vulnerable for all sorts of other reasons. It is across the broad spectrum of age groups. So we are seeing, they said the average age was around about 20, but then they were quick to comment that the likelihood of that being overrepresented is probably because most of the studies were done around students because they're easy to study, whereas there's probably a lack of studies in the older cohorts. But it certainly does stretch all across the career span and all across the age groups. It does cross industries. We talk about it a lot in healthcare, and there's a couple of reasons why I think healthcare workers may be predisposed. One of the reasons is, you know, what sort of tends to drive this, one of the fears which makes you vulnerable to this is having to maintain a social standing and not wanting to display imperfection to others. And that is so common in medicine for all sorts of reasons. Okay. The other thing is it it tends to be your high achievers. So of course, you know, in the entrepreneurial world, we see some incredible high achievers in the science world um, and in the economic world, in healthcare. But we do tend to talk about it a lot in healthcare, which I suppose has quite a high concentration of folk that are perfectionistic and sort of success and goal and high achievement oriented. Yeah, that's really interesting because as me, a human being, I Mm -hmm. forget that surgeons and doctors and all those people are humans. Yes, yes. So there's almost an underlying expectation that they are perfect. Yes. And, you know, which comes first, the chicken or the egg? Is it the public and the systematic and the um, sort of industrial expectation, or is that driven from the individuals themselves? Because I can tell you now, most of us that work as doctors want to get it right Mm -hmm. all the time. You know, when we get it wrong, the stakes are high, and we want to do the right things by our patient, and we don't want to be that doctor that makes the mistake, and heaven forbid, have some catastrophic consequences as a result of our actions. And we don't want our peers to think of us as incompetent either. So I think it very much is a chicken or the egg. I think it comes from both sides. We talk a little bit about humanizing healthcare, and I think that's an incredibly healthy approach. Um, And, you know, I would love for doctors to be seen as human, but in, you know, again, we need to see ourselves as human too. Um, So it really, I think the the cure, as it were, 
needs to be applied or come from both sides. Yeah. So what sort of treatment can be utilised? I mean, it sounds like it's ingrained and long-term. Yeah, very, very, very good point. It is ingrained and long-term. And as I think we've alluded to, there's some personality traits there. There may be some biological predispositions with this association with anxiety and depression. There certainly would be some workplace contributions and some cultural contributions from the workplace. But then, as I've also suggested, you've also got the societal contributions. So in terms of what the research says around treatment, believe it or not, there is very little research. Mm -hmm. And that may be because it's not a defined diagnosis. Okay, it's not a label we apply to someone. You can say somebody has been diagnosed with anxiety, diagnosed with depression. You don't do that with imposter syndrome. And so it's possibly a result of that. But we haven't really got a body of evidence around best practice for treatment. However, common sense wise, we would say, look at the multifactorial nature of how we've got there. And anything you can do to work on each of those aspects will obviously be helpful. But then the other thing is, because of its association with anxiety, depression and burnout, make sure you check for those diagnoses along the way, because we've got very good, well-established, evidence-based treatment approaches for that. So you may as well contemplate that. Um, And then the the other thing that's mentioned, as you suggested earlier, is just validating, 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 validating somebody's doubts, somebody's fears, and, you know, building up a support team around them who can do that as well. The other thing they suggest is quite helpful is because of the pervasive feeling of I'm alone, I'm a fraud, nobody else is like this group work may be quite helpful just to normalize the fact that there are others who are just like you confronting exactly the same fears and doubts, and that might be quite helpful. But it remains to be yet seen whether somebody who is quite worried about the social stigma of appearing imperfect is about to say, yeah, pick me, pick me, I'll join a group. <laughs> you know, so. Because I think about joining groups too, and I feel social anxiety. So that perfectionistic tendency can not only be within the workplace, I guess, but in life in general, leading to Absolutely. more anxiety, depression. That's exactly right. So, so many of things, you know, mental health, I think bad mental health begets bad mental health Um, and you know I'm so passionate about all aspects of well-being because it's like you know building that foundation so that your house stands firm on rocks rather than on sinking sand Um, and you know something like this does affect us in our family relationships it affects us at work it affects us in other social relationships outside of our families And in the same way, the building blocks for a strong foundation should be occurring in all those different environments as well. You know, social supports and a sense of community is absolutely critical. And that's challenging to gain when you're always judging yourself. 
correct. It really is. And, you know, one of the things I think we don't do enough is when we're with friends or family is let the guard down to have those real conversations, you know, that really authentic getting to the bottom of things and and sort of, you know, that there's that often that beautiful place where it's, it's quite an intimate space, actually, but where you dare to be vulnerable. Um, and I think those sorts of conversations should be encouraged. And it's in having those conversations where you often find two people will let their guard down. They're no longer pretending that their life is perfect and they've got it all figured out. And the magic that then can happen where they both realize that we're all the same and we're all struggling and we're all trying to do our best. And there's almost like a, a weight that sort of melts off the shoulder in those sorts of moments. And I think these are the sorts of conversations that are quite therapeutic. I just would like to say there, you brought up the word vulnerable. Now, mm. I find hard conversations massively vulnerable, being mm. open. Mm. And yet it is brave, is it not? Mm. Oh, so brave. So, so brave. You know, I think we're amazing in how many defences we build up through our lives, very tricky and very smart ways, which we may not even realise we do, just to avoid being hurt, to avoid mm -hmm. being vulnerable. Um, whereas, you know, the truth of it is, if somebody treats us unkindly, if somebody takes advantage of that vulnerability and is cruel, or judgmental, it really says more about them than it does about you. But that's hard. It's very, very hard. I think when it comes to being vulnerable, one of the tips is set yourself up for success. You know, try and set it up where you feel safe, in a safe environment. Make sure the timing is right. You know, there, there's good times and bad times to be vulnerable. If, let's say, hubby is in the middle of, you know, juggling eight things and you want to get something off your chest, you might not get the attention you need. And then having come out your box and express something, because that person's not in the right space to listen, be in the moment and respond, you might receive a less than favorable response. And then, of course, the temptation is to just go deeper within ourselves so I think there's a couple of things we can do to try and set ourselves up for success. But like so many other things in life, I don't think there is any perfect recipe. And being brave is something you mentioned. And I, I firmly believe that it's by being brave that ultimately we start to grow. You know, that dare to be brave is so important for our personal growth. And I hear you with timing. I did that the other day with my husband. <laughs> so I was feeling very vulnerable about speaking to him about one particular subject and I chose the – I just blurted it yeah. out. Like yeah. wasn't, you know, I just got to yeah. I just got to get it out there. And it was yeah. the wrong timing. He was yeah. paying no attention. He was on his yeah. phone. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, ask for his attention or time. I just went blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And – yeah, I just went, you don't care about me. You don't, you know, taking yeah. it all really, really badly. And it was my choice at that time 
to express it. Yes. So I totally agree with timing. So important. So important. And I hadn't really thought about it until you said that then because it's just I just wanted to get it out. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you think about some of the bigger things in life, you know, if if we want to do go out on Friday night, buy a nice dress for our friend's birthday party, we didn't know what dress it was, we'd research it. We'd put in the time and effort. We'd look at different websites. We'd think about this. We might check the weather. We might check the dress code. And we'd put in the preparation and we'd set ourselves up for success. And this is kind of no different. You know, so if you know there's something troubling you, I think one of the things we forget to do is to help ourselves out by setting ourselves up for success, thinking about what it is we're hoping to achieve from that outcome and how can we best set ourselves up. It may even pay to think about what is the issue? Brainstorm it on a piece of paper. Is it this? Am I really just angry about this or am I actually angry about that? You know, there's the old technique of asking about eight whys. Mm. Well, I was angry with the grocery bill this week. Why? Why was I angry? Well, he's buying stuff that, you know, the junk food that I wish he didn't fill the cupboard with. Why? Oh, well, I think he's getting fat and I'm worried that he develops bad health and that means he gets cardiovascular disease and he dies young and there's me and the kids to worry about. Ah, okay. So it's not just the grocery bill. We've come down to, I'm worried about how you're taking care of yourself because I love you so much. I want you to be around with me and the kids forever. (gasps) That is so good. I've never heard of that. Yeah. So really we should be going down to about eight levels of why. Because that superficial trigger of, oh, my God, that is just the tip of the iceberg. And we all do that. We stay with the tip. And then we go, you shouldn't spend that much on the groceries. What do you think you're doing? Meanwhile, if we got to the bottom of what was happening, it's a very different conversation when we say, love, I've just been so worried this week because – You know, the cupboard seems to be filling up with junk. I'm learning a bit about what that means for your long-term health. And I just want you to be there with us for a long time. That's a different conversation. So good. That's just spun me out. (laughs) That's so good. (laughs) So thinking about conversations with someone that's got this imposter syndrome, if you had a friend, I'm just thinking about if I had a friend who's always belittling themselves Like, I'm no good at taking compliments, but, you know, if they're no good at Mm. taking compliments, if they don't – I know someone that got a medal for work the other day and just chucked it in their top drawer and didn't tell anyone for three weeks. So, you know, if there's someone in your life, how could you broach a conversation? I think, you know, I think one of the things one could do is is basically we don't broach the conversation because we feel they ought to be fixed. I think we broach the conversation if we sense the person is not okay. Because we may observe people merrily going on their way and we've all got different coping mechanisms, you know, and I guess it's not for us to be the imposter syndrome police. Yes. But it's when you find that the person is symptomatic in the sense that they may be cynical about their work or their performance at work is suffering, or their mood is suffering as a result. One of the things we've got to be careful of 
when I was researching for today, I saw that the researchers suggested that those who suffer imposter syndrome at work are more likely to be delegated tasks because what's happening there is the manager is having a look at presumably a very competent employee and trying to say, I need to show this person that they're capable. So I'm going to give them a task to prove to them they're capable. And so they just keep getting more and more tasks to do where people on the outside are saying, this should prove to you for once and for all you're, com- you're capable. So your self-esteem improves. And I think that's a really good example where best intentions are not necessarily in the person's best interest. So I think the key is in the same way you would deal with somebody who is suffering from burnout, anxiety, or depression, it's firstly not to judge, but secondly, to get an idea of what their world feels like. That's so true. You know, and there's that sense of, there's there's a sort of a meme that was shown to us in med school. I, I wish I could relay it correctly now, but there's the sense of not trying to talk somebody out of a depression or out of an anxiety, but instead sitting side by side with them and saying, I'm here with you. Let me experience where you're coming from right now. I don't think your job is necessarily to be their therapist, but if you provide a safe space for somebody to share the way they're experiencing things, I think that's quite helpful. Just yeah. having, you know, you're kind of taking the, the sort of the cap off to let some of that steam come out. So that would be a, a suggestion from my point of view. Can I just acknowledge how awesome that is to sit side by side with someone? Mm. As a mum, I often forget to allow my kids in those really big emotional moments just to express Mm, I mm. think I try and fix. Mm. So just acknowledging for anyone in your life, they need space to express and just be heard. Right, That's right. Because this is also their journey. And as somebody who has, according to society, achieved a lot, I sometimes find myself that when I need that validation, sometimes it can be perceived as, Oh, you're looking for compliments. So that's the other thing that I think is tough with this imposter syndrome is that it may be perceived as, oh, she's just fishing for compliments. Whereas in their worldview, they don't see or they don't internalize, they don't recognize, they don't feel from the pit of their soul, their self-worth that should be there, you know, not necessarily even by virtue of everything achieved, but just by virtue of existing and being on this planet and being a wonderful human being, that self-worth is not there. So I think one of the other things that would be quite harmful is to try and convince them that they should feel better about themselves. And again, that comes down to what you're saying. We don't need to fix. I mean, stereotypically, women are always saying they get annoyed when men go into that fix-it mode rather than just listen. And as you've alluded to, I think we're, we're guilty of doing this as parents as well. We want to come up with a solution rather than just being present and witnessing the pain or witnessing 
the roller coaster ride of emotions that yet that young person is on. And by just being prepared to stand back and witness it, you then often give them enough space, as you say, safe space to feel that they can explore. And this is their journey. And you get to observe that. And I think when we rush into rescue or to offer a solution, again, use that same why, why, why. What does this mean to me that I think I ought to provide the solution here or teach them another way? That's so true. And I was just thinking too, with imposter syndrome, our society, Australian society, generalizing, big mm-hmm. generalization, but tall poppy syndrome, some people think, oh, they're up themselves or, mm. you know, oh, they know that they're good. I'm not going to give them any more compliments. Yeah. yeah. But I guess that just feeds imposter syndrome, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. My sister has a phrase for this. She calls it the curse of the competent. And, you know, it's it's... Who do you give it to? You give it to a busy person because they get the job done. But very few people end up saying to the busy person or the competent or the go-to person who's always achieving and making life look easy, very few people approach that person and say, how are you? Are you okay? And I can relate to this in my own family where I was having a tough time several weeks ago. And my mum turned around and said, but Kelly, nothing's ever too much for you. And I said, actually, (laughs) funny you should say that, (laughs) because to be honest, I could do with somebody asking now and then, you know, am I okay? Um, And I said to her that often when you're the person who just gets things done, nobody ever stops and says, are you okay? And I'm definitely guilty of imposter syndrome myself. And nobody would necessarily know that, you know. So it's it's a tricky one. You don't necessarily wear it on your on your sleeve. Very tricky. Thank you so much for being so vulnerable then and also for sharing all of this information about imposter syndrome. Dr. Kelly, you are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. You're Kylie. welcome. <laughs> so Dr. Kelly, you are available at QV Medical Elizabeth Street in Melbourne redefininghealth.com.au and now how exciting for the people in Rosebud and on the coast she's now at Whole Health in Rosebud so very exciting there so thank you so much for your time for your amazing knowledge today Kelly my absolute pleasure and get out there Melbournians enjoy the sunshine and um, just keep doing the right thing and we will get through this Thank you. You're on Good Health Radio with Kylie Roger. We've been talking to the amazing Dr. Kellyanne Garnier and we will be back after this break. 